Well, last week, if you were uh, with us, we were up in the mountains, in, in Santa Cruz Mountains, for our church retreat. It was a wonderful time. It was a great time to spend with church family, to, to recreate, to refresh, just to renew ourselves. And the teaching was really good from Pastor Paul Chan. And actually, he gave me some insights that I'm actually going to include in my message today. Because my topic today is a very challenging one. It's one that uh, I will have to fess up. I don't really know all the answers and all the solutions. But I am going to give my best shot. And a lot of it is just to uh, share some things that have happened in my own life. Um, At the retreat, it was really cool that... uh, uh, the church actually honored me for my 20 years of service here at Christian Lehman Church. So that was uh, a big surprise to me. Uh, I, I wanted to thank uh, Pastor Andrew who, who created the video and I'm sure was um, the person behind the whole tribute. Also want to thank uh, Rick Kwan, Bruce Conishiro, Yan Chin for their sharing during that time. And also to to Warren and Don Kurosu, who, who made that, that portrait where everybody signed around that frame. So thank you f- for all those people for making that a very special moment for me. Although at that particular time, I thought I was at my own memorial service. <laughs> so it was a little surreal to be sitting there hearing about uh, myself that way. Um, <laughs> now... Um, Definitely in my 20 years of ministry here, uh, there have been good times. There have been amazing and joyful times. But I also have to admit there were some very challenging, very difficult times. And in my time, as I was sitting there and, and, and the sharing was going on, I was going through and f- <coughs> kind of in replay mode of my, my 20 years here. And so to be honest, the first 10 years of my pastoral ministry was really, really hard. Uh, I had the um, challenge of maneuvering and helping the church through two major transitions in, this, in the lead pastor position. Uh, during that particular time, in that decade, I had some health issues, which probably due to the stress of those two major transitions, I was having health issues. Then also, uh, in the middle of that decade, I lost two of my parents. I lost my father. I lost my mother-in-law, both in the same year, which was very painful, very sad time for myself. And then in the midst of that, I was also parenting two teenagers, and one of my teenagers decided that she didn't want to go to school anymore. So with all that going on in my life, it was like a perfect storm. And particularly in that time, Uh, in my life, it seemed like I was in a desert experience. I was yelling at God in my quiet time, why me? I was really, really angry. And that's not often the case with me, but I was angry with God because not only was I stressed with ministry, stressed in my parenting, stressed in my own health, that that was a very time, time in my life where I felt like God was... Uh, not present. So we are currently in a series about prayer. And we've heard, and last time I spoke, I I mentioned that it's okay to ask God, to ask God like a child. So many of us do that. 
I think a lot of us are very good at asking God for things when we ask and ask and ask. And especially when we are desperate, we actually really ask really well to rescue us from the circumstances that we're in. But what if we feel God is not answering us or answering in a way we don't like? We get frustrated, discouraged, and even angry with God. So, so what's up with unanswered prayer? Sure, when you don't hear God answering your prayers, it does feel like you're in a desert, that you're alone. Now, maybe some of you are there right now where you've been praying to God for something, but you feel he's not answering. You're confused, you're hurting, and you're ready to give up. And I'm not going to say I know how you feel or know what you're going through. Each of us has a unique journey that God has planned for you. Yet based on my desert experience, maybe some things I learned during my experience will be helpful for, helpful for you to know. So the first thing I realized through my desert experience that it is more important to listen than to ask. Listening is very critical. And actually it's a skill that a lot of us probably haven't developed really well. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus tells us in the scripture, if we have ears, to listen. Listening is not easy for many of us. And and it's kind of amazing if you actually think about it, when you're hurting when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're afraid, you're anxious, often those are times you don't really listen really well. Your, your mind is swirling, your, your circumstances around you are chaotic, your emotions are running high, and those are times where you maybe should be listening, you're not able to. To listen to others, let alone God, during those times can be very difficult. But listen, we must. Now, at the retreat, Pastor Paul Chan shared this insight about hearing from God. And, and, and hearing from God, especially in the context of a busy world that a lot of us live in. And in this busyness, oftentimes, there are so many voices, so many distractions that we're not very focused. I mean, current studies say that our, say that our attention spans are so, so small now that a lot of times we can only have an attention span of a 12 minutes or so. And I know probably this morning right now as I'm speaking, a lot of you are having attention span problems and not listening to me. But hopefully you can hang on for another 20 20 so minutes. Well, Pastor Paul was saying that he was sharing this this insight from um, one of the experiences that Jesus had with his disciples. It was at that evening before he was betrayed, he was having that intimate meaning, uh, meal with them up in the upper room of a home, and he was sharing everything that was on his heart. And uh, one of the things during the meal, he shared about who was going to betray him. And in John 13, verses 21 to 25, the scripture tells us, starting with 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, and, and this is uh, assumed to be John, the writer of, the, of this gospel, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? So Jesus said to his disciples, one of you guys is going to betray me. And then Simon Peter, who didn't have any guts to ask Jesus himself, tells John, can you ask him? Who, 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 who does uh, Jesus mean? And so uh, John, who must be sitting very close to Jesus, and the scripture says he leans back against Jesus. Now, in those days, they don't sit in chairs. They actually sit on the floor. They're kind of reclined. And, and so here you have a picture of John literally right up against Jesus. And he just leans back and his head touches Jesus' chest. Now, in other translations, in a King James translation, verse 25 says, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is lying on Jesus' breast. That's the translation in King James. So it means John has literally got his head or his ear on Jesus' chest. Now, what does that mean? He's pretty close. He's pretty intimate. As a guy, I don't know if I like too many guys sitting on my chest or lying on my chest. And to be, to, to be honest, there's only maybe three people that I've ever done that. It's my wife and my children. And when you do that, essentially, you're close enough to hear their heart, their heartbeat. I have to take that back. In a medical sense, I've heard many people's heart, heartbeats. But to be with a stethoscope is different than with leaning your head on their chest. But leaning on their chest is what John did, and it's a picture of what it means to listen to God, is that you need to be that close, that intimate, to hear the voice of God. And during my desert experience, I heard God tell me over and over again this verse from Psalm 46, verse 10. And if you're not familiar with it, it that verse in, in Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. It's probably one a lot of you have heard before. Be still and know that I am God. And when I was going through that, that season of challenge, uh, in that decade, my first decade here in pastoral ministry, God was speaking to me and he said, be still and know that I'm God. And, and what does it mean to be still? What does being still mean? It means to listen. Do not move. Do not do anything. Be calm and pay attention. That's what it means to be still. And during that time, God was advising me to be still. That stop, means stop paying attention to what is going on in the world and listen to what I have to say to you. Be still and know that I am God. And why that was significant at, during that time is because uh, at one of these leadership transition uh, that, that I was involved in with the board of directors, we were uh, anticipating one of our pastor's leaving the church. And uh, it was a little 
a lot of, it was a tense time. A lot of relationships were, were frayed. Uh, a lot of people were angry, upset. Um, a lot of conflict. And at a major decision time, we had a meeting right here, actually, at church. And the board directors were waiting, meeting in the fellowship hall. And that particular pastor was having time here in the sanctuary before meeting us. And, uh, and I, I told you, during that time, during my quiet time, God was, kept telling me, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. And I didn't share that with anyone. But I did share it with the board of directors that evening as we were praying and preparing for our time with that pastor. While that pastor was sitting here, he was hearing from God too. And then when he came and met with us, the first thing he said, as I was sitting in the sanctuary, God spoke to me and said, be still and know that I'm God. Isn't that cool? That's the same thing that God was speaking to me. It was the same thing he was speaking to this other pastor. And if you look at that context of that passage, be still and know that I'm God, verse 9 says... He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. So in the context of where there's a lot of tenseness in the leadership, in the senior leadership of the church, we were actually at war with one another. God was telling us, I bring peace. I cease wars. Be still and know that I am God. And so that pastor who was sitting here heard that from God and understood what that meant. And he, with great humility, decided to resign. God is an amazing God. He knows all things, and his counsel is always wise. So God spoke to that situation directly. So it is an example for me that in the midst of a desert experience where there could be chaos, you feel like God is distant. He's there. And he, it only means that we have to listen. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is in my opinion, unanswered prayer is a myth. It's misunderstood. It's a misnomer. Unanswered prayer doesn't exist. God answers every prayer. It's that we're not listening or we don't like the answer that he's giving to us. God has only three answers. Yes, no, not yet. If it's yes, it's pretty obvious. Your prayer is going to be answered. It's the no and not yet is the one that we would not like at times. Speaking honestly, been there. Understand that. But the other two possibilities of no and not yet, those are definitely answers, but oftentimes we're not ready to receive those. John 10, verse 27 to 28, the verse, verses there say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. To hear answers to your prayer, you need to know 
the shepherd's voice. Not an easy thing to do, but it's necessary. That's what Jesus says. The sheep hear my voice. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it behooves you to know the shepherd's voice. I love to tell the story about what it means to know the shepherd's voice. My, my son, when he was about 13, 14 years old, we were going on a, a short-term mission trip. A lot of you have been on the same one. We went down to T- Tijuana uh, to build homes south of the border. And so I was on that trip with him. And then where we often ha- we have to go to the airport to fly off to Southern California to then cross the border. Airports are chaotic places, especially when we have a short-term missions trip where we have probably 30 people, 10 to 12 youth. It can be kind of crazy to herd everybody in the same direction. And one of the most difficult things is getting to the gate at the right time. Now, my son was, is a, he, he can't sit still. I mean, he, he still can't sit still. He, he loves to just roam on his own. And then he, they were, were going to the gate, and he was actually following his youth leader, which in the corner of my eye, I saw him go off with his youth leader, but they were going in the wrong direction. And so immediately, I yelled out, Josh, stop, come back to me. And then in a crowded airport with all the noise, Josh recognizes his shepherd's voice. He stops, he turns around, and he comes straight to me. That's what it means to hear the voice of your shepherd and to recognize it. Parents know this. Parents have an amazing ability, uncanny ability to hear their babies crying. They know which kid is crying just by the sound of it. I'll even go to the, to the extent that loved ones, husbands and wives, uh, parents have that same ability of seeing in a crowd someone walking. You can actually hear someone walking and you can recognize how, they, how their steps are. Even smell. Everybody has a unique smell. And if you're sensitive to that, you can smell people that you know very well. But this is what it means to recognize the shepherd's voice. And God, Jesus, can be recognized in the same way. And, and that's what the scripture tells us, that there is great benefit if we can know God's voice. Therefore, we need to learn how to recognize God's voice when we are in a listening posture. And so how do we do that? I'm going to give three very simple ways of being able to do that. One is for sure, read the Bible. Read Scripture. Through the Scripture, God's voice can be heard. Just read over and over again. And you don't even have to understand it. Because I trust eventually you'll understand it. But just reading it, you'll understand the character of God, God's heart, God's heartbeat, by just reading the scripture. Just read it. And I think Pastor Paul Chan mentioned that at a retreat. Go on some reading plan. And today there's so many reading plans, even on the phone apps. I mean, version is a really good one. Just read the Bible. And, and, and uh, a lot of people have a problem doing that because they figure they, want, they have to understand everything they read. And I'm telling you, God's word does not return void. You don't have to figure it out yourself. It's nice if you can, but just read it. Just read it and familiar, familiarize yourself with the scripture. Second thing is, during your quiet times, 
it's important to experience God in a way that maybe some of you don't imagine ever doing. God is a living being. He's as real as Josh and Caitlin sitting there and me looking at them, that you can see God in the same way. Smell God, feel God, experience God in that real way. I mean, I do, so I think you can too. But during your quiet time, sit there, and, and, and like my first point was saying, it's more important to listen than to ask. Because when you're asking and saying things, you can't hear. That's a kind of unusual multitask if you can do that. It's better to sit and be still and know that God is God and try to hear from God what he's trying to tell you. Develop that. It's a very important skill. It isn't about us talking to God. It's not a one-way street. It's two ways. So through scripture, God will speak to us, but God will send you images, feelings, thoughts. So practice that. And if you don't, you won't be able to develop a skill for that. So I'm encouraging you to try that. The third way is to speak with godly Christian brothers and sisters for, for their counsel to you. And that's another way God speaks because I truly believe that God doesn't speak to just me by myself. God speaks to me and to you and to everybody in the world at the same time. Just like I gave that story where that, that leadership transition thing where one pastor is sitting here and a group of leaders are sitting in there. God is speaking to us simultaneously. And that's why we, as leadership, work on usually on a consensus basis where we all say, do you hear that from God? And we affirm one another's hearing and sensing from God. So those are three practical ways, scripture, quiet times, experiencing God with all your senses, and also seeking counsel with godly brothers and sisters. And that's another way of hearing and recognizing the voice of God. Lastly, something I learned from my desert experience is that unanswered prayer often makes us feel like we are in the desert, but it is in the desert where God will meet us. It's a paradox, something that is counterintuitive, that is in the desert is exactly where God will meet us, where we feel in our human senses we're alone and abandoned, being scorched by the heat, That's actually where God wants us to be. God wants to meet us in the desert. Pastor Paul Chan talked about this at a retreat. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 2. It says there, Jesus is, uh, after his baptism, he goes straight to the desert and has his desert experience. And he's tempted by Satan there. But here's the subtle thing to note. It says in verse 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus went to the desert, but that wasn't a bad thing. That was intentional. After 40 days of fasting, meaning he was meeting with God, fueling himself with God, then physically, he realized after 40 days, he was hungry. And that's when 
He was weak physically, and that's when Satan, the devil, tempted him. But that 40 days beforehand, he was meeting with God. And that word for wilderness, and this is where uh, Pastor Paul introduced the Greek word eremos. Eremos is found many places in scripture and there are many translations for that word wilderness. It is desert, desolate place, a lonely place, a quiet place. All the same word, Eremos. And that means desert. Luke 5, verse 16 tells us what Jesus did. Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's the ESV translation. NIV. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And a New Living Translation. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Wilderness, lonely places, desolate places, desert. Jesus intentionally went there to meet with God. Paradox. Counterintuitive. So when we are in our desert experience, that's actually where God wants us. Because when we're in a desert experience, there are no other distractions. There are nothing else. We're desperate. And God says, I am there for you. This verse tells us that prayer or talks with God is best done in the desert. Jesus went there for prayer. So he is modeling to us that we are to go to desolate places, to quiet places, to lonely places, to the desert, the wilderness, to meet with him. Matter of fact, that's actually the Christian perspective that we are to have. Our time here on earth is supposed to be a desert experience. We are not on the right side of heaven yet. Once our life ends here on this earth, then we will be in paradise with our Heavenly Father. But that's something a lot of us can't accept. We make it very comfortable for ourselves here. Is that we make our desert as cushy as possible. But that's not what God intended. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. So the perspective is better to look at this world as our desert. Pain, struggle, suffering is part of our life here. But it is in that pain and struggling that God is with us and very close to us. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, he describes the experience with this graft kind of going to draw up for you, of this Christian experience. He says that for Christians, for those who follow Jesus, our perspective is that we should always be living with a certain amount of, of hope. And this hope hopefully grows over time. And and so this hope will be represented by this, this line here. And so this being hope 
represents all of our dreams, all of our, our desires. You know, it's our ideal life that we want to live. But we're all being, if we're all realistic, reality should always fall short of our hopes. So I'll put reality here. So, reality, which is the actual circumstances we find ourselves in, can be fluctuate throughout our lives. Now, if we're honest, and that's what it means to be humble, is to have a sober assessment of oneself and our circumstances, we always say that our reality should fall short of our hopes. This space between the two is what we call, would be called the desert. The difference between how far short reality meets our hope. The farther distance these two are, obviously much more struggling and and groaning and mumbling. There's also, Paul Miller talks about a a lot of times we deny our conditions and we have a false sense of our reality. And you draw a line up here, that's not healthy either. So you have to have a sober understanding of where you're at. But this is the Christian life is that we live in the desert. Until we go to heaven, we'll ultimately achieve the ultimate hope. And our reality can fluctuate throughout our lives. But living in the desert is the expectation and should be our understanding as long as we are here on earth. God customizes the the desert experience for all of us. That means my desert experience here is going to be different than your desert experience. They're not the same. They're going to be unique. God takes all those he loves through a desert because the desert experience makes us totally dependent on him. He gets our total attention because he becomes the only game in town. And the best gift of the desert in the desert is the presence of God. Jesus knew this, and as I said before, he went to the desert to be with God to pray. And that's the paradox in our suffering, is when we are, we are closest to God when we are in the desert experience. We may not like it, but it's not for us to say that. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, Apostle Paul writes this, God tells us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, God is strong. I want to end with this story. Um, One of the most difficult things for a pastor is to walk alongside people who are in mourning, especially when there's the passing of loved ones probably one of the most difficult ones uh, times for me to come alongside a couple uh, very close friends uh, people uh, friends in this from this church they they for the longest time wanted to start a family very difficult time in conceiving they went to IVF in vitro fertilization finally had uh, uh, twins uh, but sadly, uh, the pregnancy was difficult, and uh, one, uh, one son died shortly after birth, and the second one died about a year, less than a year later. 
that is probably one of the most painful things for a parent to see, is to see their child die before them. And for this couple, this was heartbreaking, wrenching, right? And uh, for me as their pastor, to walk alongside them, that was so difficult. I've done so many memorial services. Can you imagine? I had no, I, I, and I said that, I have no words that really can be comforting to you at this time. But I know a God who, who loves you. And that's about all I could share with them. But this couple um, were hurting and grieving their loss. But uh, Sandra shared, uh, she shared before all of us at one service, just the, the amazing love that God had for her. That during one of her quiet times, uh, when she was crying out to God, why, asking why. Uh, she was sitting in one of her rooms and, and the sun was shining through the window and the rays of the sun was hitting her skin and her face and she felt all of a sudden very warm. And that moment, she sensed that God loved her and was saying to her, I love you. And, and at that moment, Sandra said that I knew that God still loved me, even in the midst of her desert experience. I hope that you may gain a new perspective that when you feel God is not hearing your prayers, you are actually in the right place to find them. When we are crying tears, when we are awake, those sleepless nights, when we are in the trials of life, be assured Jesus is there with you and his mercies are new every morning. And remember this promise from Jesus from Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.